wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Sometimes the darkness we need to kick against is hidden deep inside our own thoughts and perceptions. Today's guest helps release the potential that often remains dormant in all of us. I'll introduce you in a moment. Please connect with Bleeding Daylight on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And please leave a rating and review for Bleeding Daylight wherever you listen to podcasts. Jenny Toe studied law in England, had a legal career spanning almost three decades in Malaysia and Singapore, working for a range of employers, including a global oil and gas company, as well as global banks. Personally, life was good, with a great family and close friends, but something was still missing. Jenny is the director of River Life Coaching, where she coaches individuals to align their career and life goals with their values and strengths. I'm very pleased to introduce her to you today. Jenny, welcome to Bleeding Daylight. Hi, Rodney. I really like how you summarize my whole life story there. (laughs) It's very succinct. So thanks for having me on the show. (laughs) We will go a little bit deeper and I'll let you explain some things. Otherwise, I can say bye-bye here because that's my life story (laughs) for like close to three decades, I think. Yeah. 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 Well, I've spoken to many people on Bleeding Daylight who have overcome really difficult circumstances. Your story seems to be different and yet probably quite relatable for a lot of people. Tell me about what was happening for you when you started asking yourself, what's missing in my life? As you have uh, introduced me, my legal career spans close now to 25 years and it was good. Uh, I still enjoy doing all things related to law, but there was always this nagging feeling that I meant to do something else. I was first bitten by the coaching bug in 2015 when I, I received some uh, short training course on coaching. I was intrigued by it and I used it because that time I was managing a small team of my own. So I used it on my direct reports and it was good. But at the same time, I thought, okay, I have a full-time job. I have three kids at home. I can't be changing my careers right now. And, you know, let's just keep this aside maybe as a hobby or maybe practice on anyone who wants to be coached just for the fun of it. So I pushed it away. But then the feeling was always there. And in around December 2018, with uh, a lot of prayer, a lot of discussion with my husband, I decided to embark on a coach training program in 2019. So it wasn't like an overnight revelation, uh, Ronnie. As I shared, it was always there, but I kept pushing it aside. But if the Holy Spirit wants you to do something, (laughs) it will come back up. You can't run away. It's interesting that you had this nagging thing to go into coaching to be able to help others. Maybe for those who haven't been around coaching, you could give us a just a, a thumbnail sketch of what coaching actually entails when you're meeting with someone. How do you start that conversation? Well, normally, uh, if, if people are interested in coaching, they will schedule a discovery call with me and I'll ask them, what prompted you to you know, connect with me and then I'll hear what they have on their mind. So I normally coach women. It's not that I don't coach men, but somehow women tend to come and gravitate towards me. They usually have something on their mind in terms of transition. 
whether it's career, whether it's an important decision they need to make in their life. And they just need that someone to give uh, an objective view to support them on their journey. In this space where I'm not in your life, Ronnie, I don't know who you talk to, what your job is like. There is safety and that's the recurring theme. There is safety because I'm objective. I don't judge what you tell me and I provide you with that support and I provide you with a independent perspective of, of what you're going through. And, and that is very rich because a lot of them tell me I can't even share this with my husband because he's already going to come up with a solution and I don't want that right now. <laughs> I just want someone to journey alongside me. So there's a lot of deep reflection done and some challenge to your underlying beliefs because we are all we all have our underlying beliefs, something that we think that this is how things should be and when things don't happen according to our beliefs, we feel a bit lost and, and a bit confused at times. You're speaking there about those unrecognised beliefs that we have. Is it a surprise for a lot of people when you start to unearth, well, because you're acting in this way, it actually says these are the things that you believe? Yeah, so it, it is surprising to some. I can't reveal too much details about my coaching sessions with clients due to the confidentiality that we agreed on. But there are instances where someone might be really a high performer and then they, they don't realize it. Then I pick it up and I'm like, okay, a lot of what you're saying is it sounds like you need this to be perfect before you're ready to present, before you're ready to submit that proposal. And it surprises them because they're like, oh, I, I never knew that I have this inner desire for everything to be perfect. So it's that observation that I reflect back to them. Then they realize that, oh, okay, what is this? Then they reflect that, you know, there are various instances in their lives where the need or the desire to be perfect comes up. And if it's not perfect, then they feel they're not good enough. So this is just one example. So in a sense, there's got to be some sort of a almost a counselling aspect to it of being able to to dig back a little bit, not going through trauma as such, but being able to find those trigger points that have got them to, to believe in this way. Well, interesting you should bring up the word counselling. I'm very careful to explain to my clients that coaching is not counselling. And, and like you said, counselling brings you back to a place where there has been emotional hurt and trauma and you just want to recover from that. So the counsellor is trained to deal with the emotional hurt and trauma and to help you heal. Whereas for coaching, my clients are usually at a good place uh, overall, but they may be stuck in one or two things, be it career, be it some life decisions, and they just want to get unblocked or find a way forward. Or sometimes they just want to get better. So it's from a good place to a better place. So that's how I personally distinguish between counselling and coaching. You've been a professional for many years and no doubt the, the courses that you took and the study that you undertook to become a coaching means that you're in a good place to do that. But I want to ask you a question. I see so many times when, when I'm scrolling through various sites, I see so many people that say I'm a certified life coach. Do you think that sometimes people take on that role too quickly and they can perhaps cause more damage than the good that they do if, if they haven't done the right training? 
Oh, Rodney, spot on. <laughs> no, I mean, because my first profession is in law and you know how difficult it is to become a lawyer, we have to go through stringent training and then qualified by a professional body, you know, being admitted to the local bar of your country. So unfortunately, at this juncture, coaching doesn't require this type of uh, certification process. So Actually, the reality is anyone who can speak well, has a phone, and has a social media presence is able to advertise themselves as a life coach. But uh, the industry is changing. I am a credentialed coach by International Coaching Federation. So that's a global organization that sets very high standards to coaching. My coaching training program actually took me more than a year to complete. And in order to be credentialed, you do have to take an exam. You do have to show that you have coached at least more than 100 hours before they will give you the certification. So there is a move towards more regulated and supervised coaching profession. But we're not there yet. We hope to see the change maybe in 10 years' time. I know it's a bit slow, but that's that's the aim of the industry. So I guess the advice is that if anyone is looking for some sort of life coaching, to, to check out who the coach is and how well credentialed they are. What are some of the things that they need to look for? Ideally, uh, the coach is a credentialed ICF coach. There is also a European uh, organization as well that credential coaches, but the largest body of uh, coaches are all ICF, so International Coaching Federation credential coaches. And you can have uh, your executive coaches, your business coaches and your life coaches. And I believe that a big part of what you're trying to achieve for each of your clients is that they get to live their lives in alignment with their values. How do we start to walk along that journey? Well, first, you need to know what your values are. So a lot of my clients whom I work with and I ask them, what's your values? They'll say that, oh, okay, uh, I'm good at strategic planning. I'm good at problem solving. I, I'm good. I'm a good team player. I'm efficient. So those are not your values. They're probably your strengths or your skills that you've accumulated over time. Your values are deeper. They are just simple words that defines the direction of your life. So, for example, Rodney, my core value is honesty or integrity. So the Jenny who's speaking to you now is the same Jenny who parents my kids and who shows up as a coach. So if I imagine my life without honesty and integrity, I really feel that something's not quite right. So I guess that was also one factor when I considered the transition from being a lawyer to a coach. It was as though a part of me wasn't really honest with my calling. I, I kept pushing it aside and this was what God was calling me into then. And I thought, okay, no, that the timing's not right. So, so it was that value of, of being true to myself that made me realize that I need to go into this because otherwise I'm living my life not aligned with my values. Do you find that many people that you talk to are actually living a life that is based on the values of someone else, whether it be a parent or a spouse or someone else that has kind of been given to them and they feel somehow obliged to walk in that and that's why they're not finding that satisfaction? Yes, that, that could be one aspect of it that, oh, okay, my, my parents always wanted me to study medicine and they spent so much money to put me through medical school and therefore I need to stick to it. So, so that could be that. But it could also be that you have this dream, let's just say, you know, you paint as a hobby and, and you have 
this dream to be an artist, but you feel that, no, it doesn't pay the bills. I need to work in something that pays well. And I cannot, you know, just throw away everything just to pursue this dream. So it could also be your own belief that you cannot pursue your passion right now. And then you you put it off and you put it off and you may eventually never do it. But then if you reflect, would there be regrets? We, we start to wonder when we're coming towards the end of our time, how are we going to have regrets and think, oh, if only. And, and we hear that so often of people who think, if only I'd done this or that. And I guess you get the opportunity to speak to people and bring them to that point a whole lot earlier so that those regrets don't happen later on in life. Yes. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of this question before. Where do you picture yourself five years from now? And usually people ask that in job interviews. But I also ask that, like, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind at the end of your life? Uh, it's not meant to be a morbid question. It just suddenly puts you in a position that you have to reflect what your priorities are. You have to literally stop and think to yourself, what is the legacy that I want to leave, leave behind for my family, for people to remember me? What is it? I know that not all your clients would be Christians, but you'd obviously be dealing with some people who have a faith. What is the difference there with coaching them when they're looking to both fulfill what the dream is in them and oftentimes a dream that is put there by God or just following what everyone else expects them to do? Where's the difference? How do you call that out in people? Well, if I'm coaching believers, of course, I'll ask for permission whether we can start off with a prayer and uh, close with a prayer and uh, inviting the Holy Spirit to be in our sessions. But I only do this if the Christian client agrees because even with Christians, sometimes they feel that, uh, okay, maybe not, not for this session or maybe we haven't built the rapport. So, so that's something I do. I don't think there's a big difference between coaching a believer and a non-believer. It's just that at times the, the believer may ask me, what do you think the Holy Spirit is telling me here? So I have to be very careful unless I'm really prompted by the Holy Spirit to say that, yes, this is God's word for you. I am careful not to say it because again, you know, for example, you and me, Rodney, I don't know where you're at now in your faith walk and I don't know how God has spoken to you in the past. So I also don't want to mislead you. So similarly, I am careful. But if I'm prompted, I may share a verse uh, to speak into that situation. But it, it's all led by the Spirit. So I don't say that there is a formula for it. But when people talk about, oh, what, what is God's will for me? These clients have really thought long and hard and prayed about it. So I just offer a perspective. I hear that you're really passionate about doing this, but what's holding you back is probably giving up some time, some security, some comfort. What will it take for you just to step out Take one small step out of your comfort zone. And that is enough for that person to think, oh, I don't have to do either or. I mean, it's all or nothing. I just need to see what is it that I can do to push myself just one, two steps outside my comfort zone. I know one of the things that you're very keen to work on with your clients is something called mental fitness. Can you explain that to me? Yeah, so similarly, like physical fitness, you do need exercise, a routine and, and discipline. So mental fitness, the, the mental fitness that I'm talking about is actually based on the study of positive intelligence. So it was first formulated by Dr. Shazad Shamin. I did a specialized coaching program under him last year. The definition of mental fitness in positive intelligence is the ability to look at a situation from a positive and resilient mindset as opposed to a negative one. So it's not 
that we are going to put on our smiley faces all the time and say everything is good, life is good. No, it's look at a situation, difficult as it is, hard as it is, to see whether there is a learning opportunity, there's an opportunity for growth there, or to see it as a gift. So it is not easy. It will not be instant. But I coach my clients to see what is the gift, what is the lesson that they learn from those difficult situations. And how is it that you start to take someone on on that journey when they're coming in and they don't have that mental fitness? Just the same as bodily fitness, we need to do training. Are there exercises that you're able to take people through to get them to that place of mental fitness? Yes. So I run a six-week mental fitness program leveraging on a phone app uh, that's created by Dr. Shamin's team. Uh, It's a PQ app, positive intelligence app, which will push through short PQ exercises. So they call it PQ reps. It only takes 10, 15 um, seconds to do it. So it could be breath work, like breathing, be mindful of your breath or the sensation of touch or, you know, observe an object with deep thought, but really just observe the colors. So the purpose of doing this kind of exercises is to stop your mind from going into autopilot mode with the stress and anxiety and worries that you're feeling and to take a new path, a path that is calmer and you will be able to take a step back. And once you've done these exercises, you'll be able to see the situation more clearly and then hopefully we'll start to see what's the gift or learning opportunity in these situations. Is a lot of it too being able to counteract that that self-talk, that internal monologue that most of us have going on all the time? Yes. So in the, the Positive Intelligence website, there is also a saboteur assessment. So I take my clients before they start the program to do the free saboteur assessment on positiveintelligence.com. This will help you identify the voices in your mind. Uh, We typically have one or two top saboteurs, but we have the judge. He is the master saboteur in all of us. So the judge can show up in three ways. That's the judge of self. So Jenny telling Jenny, you're not good enough. And then there's the judge of others. So you make very quick first impression judgment on a person without even knowing, taking the time to know that person. And of course, the judge of circumstance. So if you're late for a meeting, your mind starts spiraling downwards, thinking that, oh, you know, everyone's going to think I'm irresponsible. And, and then you start doubting your uh, abilities. So everyone has the judge in ourselves. But we also have the accomplice saboteur. So my top two are the stickler and the hypervigilant. So stickler is actually perfectionist. So I've known this for quite some time. But after I did this assessment, I realized that, okay, the stickler saboteur is really coming up everywhere that, you know, I need this to be perfect. I need that to be perfect. And the hypervigilant is worrying about the worst case scenario almost all the time because I guess it's from my legal training and also being a parent. All this creates a lot of negative emotion, a lot of stress. So when I do the PQ reps, I'm able to take a step back. So I know that this is my stickler trait coming up. But instead of being hijacked by it and and following that autopilot mode, I'm able to stop myself. Oh, that's my stickler talking to me right now. So what can I do instead of, you know, uh, worrying and and, uh, that it's not perfect? So it's just a way of shifting your thinking. And as you're talking about some of those internal voices that that we do face, there is that voice that says you're not good enough. And I know that that leans us towards this thing that we've heard of called the imposter or the imposter syndrome. Can you explain that to me? 
Yeah, so, so this shows up in, in an, a lot of uh, very capable people. It can happen in both men and women, but because I coach more women, so I do see it in women a lot. And these are very capable women uh, in senior management positions or who are doing very well career-wise. And they feel that they're imposters because they feel that they are a fraud. They shouldn't be what they're doing now because they are not good enough. Or they feel that people might find out eventually that they are a fraud and they work really hard to try and cover that up whereas in reality no one thinks that they are not good enough and, and no no one doubts their their capabilities so these are women who have phds who have uh, long-standing careers so so you're probably going to ask me where this comes from there isn't one simple answer to where this comes from it could be your life experiences it could be when you were a child your parents insisted on you being very very good in everything and there was that pressure it could be something someone said to you again when you were young and it stuck and, and it hurt you and, and you just felt that you know I need to prove myself again and again so there, there are many factors as to why it comes up but the main thing is you think you're a fraud or you're worried that others will find out you're a fraud so how do we start to counteract that I mean if you're saying that some of those triggers are actually started right back in childhood. We've had many, many years to rehearse those things in our mind. How do you overcome all of that self-talk over those many years? In our coaching sessions, with a lot of patience and a lot of empathy because I think a lot of times we can easily practice empathy on others, but when you want to practice empathy on yourself, it is difficult, especially for all these high-achieving women. So if they come to me with a specific situation where they feel that, you know, I'm not good enough, someone's going to find out that I'm not good enough and what will people think, I take them back to a past experience, if possible, similar, and ask them to reflect on that past experience and to see that what came out of that, you know, did anyone say that you were not good enough? Were you a fraud then? Kind of put an objective lens to it on their achievements, on their accomplishments and flip it to them to say that what if your own accomplishments are that of your friend? Would you say, would you be thinking the same thing that you're thinking about yourself? So like putting it into someone else and asking them to to sort of take a step back and look at it. And I also ask them the question, how true is this? So in the beginning, of course, they will tell me, Jenny, it's true. You know, I'm not good at this. I, I feel I'm a fraud. So I ask them the question again, is this true all the time? Then they pause and, and they reflect. So we just have to keep challenging uh, their assumptions as to the truth of it. I'm sure that as you're coaching a number of people, and as you say, mostly women, that there must be many times where you see that aha moment for them, where suddenly it all starts to click and they start to change their trajectory and suddenly it all starts to work for them. That must be incredibly satisfying for you. Yes, and it's really very rewarding as well. And then they will tell me that, Jenny, I think I'm in a good place right now. I'm able to deal with this topic when it comes up and uh, that's that's a great way to end the, the coaching engagement because I don't want to hold your hand forever and ever. It's meant for you to be able to gain your own inner resources and strength and to be able to fly after that on your own. So yeah, it is extremely rewarding. And I love that, that you're actually looking to conclude your coaching sessions because... <laughs> 
so many professionals, so-called professionals, just want to keep us coming along week after week, month after month, year after year, because there's money in that. Whereas you seem to have a different methodology. You're saying, I want to empower these people to go on and to, to the point where they don't need me chatting to them week by week, that they're able to go forward and, and maybe check back from time to time. It must be satisfying to see someone conclude their series of coaching sessions. Yes. And then you're right about them coming back to tell me, to update me. Oh, Jenny, I did this. Oh, Jenny, I've changed jobs and it's amazing. Or oh, I've been promoted. So it's just really nice. I mean, in a way, it's like if you have uh, children, is seeing your children grow. Of course, the relationship is different, but I really do feel that it's fulfilling for me to see my clients find their own success on their own terms. I've got to ask though, does the coaching tend to uh, creep in a little at home? Do you find yourself <laughs> coaching your husband or your or your children in the same way? Well, uh, Ronnie, I have three kids and I have a teenage son and he is very aware of the so-called coaching question. So the moment I start trying to use the coaching question, he will say, mom, don't try coaching me on this. So it is harder <laughs> to coach my family uh, members, but I do use my coaching skills, like really deep listening and, and empathy and also offering that objective view. It is harder because they are my family. I, I love them so dearly. So it's difficult to be objective, but sometimes the situations they face, I need to be objective and it helps me. So my own coaching skills have helped me deal with family conflicts and, and difficult situations. But no, I wouldn't recommend any coach to coach their family members <laughs> We're just too involved and uh, I'll probably go into mom mode and for my husband, I'll probably go into I told you so, so it's not advisable. <laughs> but those, as you say, those deep listening skills that you have developed through coaching are obviously going to stand you in good stead and, and are going to be a bonus to your family and I imagine to, to close friends as well. Not that you're going to put on the coaching hat for them, but you're able to listen more intently and, and really hear what's going on for them in life. Yes, and it's, I've grown as a person as well through my coach training because it's helped me realize that I also have uh, my own biases and this awareness helps me realize that and catch myself and then I'm able to consciously make a choice not to perpetuate those biases. So it does come up. But again, when you see that, don't be hard on yourself. So similarly, when your listeners try out the uh, saboteur assessment on positiveintelligence.com, you probably see your top saboteurs coming up all the time. So the main thing is not to beat yourself up about it. Uh, it's just the awareness. That's why you see it. So because you're aware, you're able to stop yourself from you know following that path of thinking. So you've mentioned resources that are freely available for people to to use and are going to help them. I'm wondering as far as coaching goes, and you've mentioned that you are coaching a lot of professional people that are wanting to, to move on to another level or wanting to transition in their workspace, but who is coaching really best for? Who is going to benefit from coaching? I would say anyone who is stuck on something, who has tried to get out of that block, but somehow the issue keeps coming back and you don't quite know what to do with it. So even, even if you just engage me for one session, I believe that will give you the clarity because simply by talking it out to someone who's not in your life, 
it's a sense of relief because you have someone listening to you and reflecting back to you and, and actually making observations about what is going on behind your thinking. That is very refreshing, actually. And a lot of people feel that they are not truly listened to in their everyday life. So a coaching session is powerful because, you know, I, I give you 110% of my attention. And does the coach need a coach? Oh, yes, definitely. I have my own mental coach also to, to increase my competencies. And yes, because we need to keep growing. I, I'm a firm believer that you never stop learning. So my kids are like, mom, you're still going back to school <laughs> when I did my coach training program. So they can't believe it. And I like to live by example. I, I told them, yeah, because I enjoy growing and, and discovering new things. So we all need to continually grow. And how has this all actually helped in your faith life? I would say that I'm holding on to God closer now more than ever because running my own business, I started my business at the peak of the pandemic last year, Rodney. So it's not been an easy journey. I started it because I took that leap of faith that since I held off training as a coach for so many years, I don't want to hold off putting myself out as a coach and running my business. So it's definitely... Uh, strengthen my relationship with him. I trust him to provide all my needs. And when things don't make sense, I tell God, you know what's going on. My Both my hands are open here. I will just accept what you give me. I really don't know where I'm going in this particular situation, but I trust you will be putting the right people in my path and, and the right resources. And uh, yeah, I've seen the, the outcome of it and it just keeps strengthening my faith. So take those steps outside your comfort zone and uh, just just slowly take those steps and, and live into your purpose and your, your passion. If people are wanting to find out more about coaching or find out more about you or even get in touch, where's the best place for them to find you? Uh, they can visit my website at riverlifecoaching.com. Uh, I'm also on social media, Facebook and LinkedIn under my company's name, River Life Coaching, or you can find me under Jenny Toh. My surname's T-O-H. So either way, River Life Coaching, Jenny Toh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, should be able to find me. Lots of places to find you. And I will put links in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that you can get those easily there. Jenny, it really has been a delight to talk to you, to delve into this world of coaching. We hear a lot about coaching, as I mentioned before, but to, to get a really good handle on it and how it can help each one of us has been really insightful. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rodney. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.